Hello and welcome to Stay Paid, the sales and marketing podcast from Reminder Media, where we bring you the actionable advice to help grow your business so you can live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you're willing, committed, and dedicated. Dedicated. To taking action today. My name is Joshua Stike, and I am joined, as always, by with by Luke Acre. Yes, am I by Luke Acre. Joined, joined with Luke Acre by Luke Acre. I don't know. I think it's with. I got to stick to the <laughs> same script. This is why I don't go off script. <laughs> How you doing today, Luke? <laughs> and today we talked in a meeting, Josh and I talked in a meeting about the podcast. And we're like, we're on this theme content kick, right? So we're doing these themes as an organization and our theme this week is client acquisition. And we said, you know what? I wonder if the podcast, can we just get in there and just kind of talk? And this is probably telling this us that we no, have. we cannot do that. We have to be more structured. Well, today we are going to be talking about, I think, our second most favorite subject. Do you know what our first most favorite is? Um, generating revenue. That's mine. <laughs> our net revenue is Relationship mine, but, marketing. Oh, wow. That's what I meant. Relationship marketing. Not making favorite. money. No, no, no. Relationship marketing. But relationship marketing <laughs> certainly does feed into our second favorite topic, which is client acquisition. Every service-based sales professional has two jobs. The one that they do for their clients and then lead generation. But the biggest challenge that we see our clients facing every day is even where to start. What are you doing when your feet hit the floor in the morning that is ultimately driving your business's success? It can be difficult to focus and create strategies for every source for your client acquisition, which is why we put a playbook together specifically for this. And that's what we're going to walk through today. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so often, you know, the number one thing we hear from agents and, you know, in real estate, 87% of agents fail within the first five years. And in finance, I heard a stat that said 90% of financial advisors fail in the first two years. The number one reason we see is because they don't lack usually passion, although I, I say normally they're lazy, but they don't lack passion. They have a desire to be successful in the business, but where they fail is they don't know what to do. They don't know when they hit the ground, hey, it, we're talking about client acquisition today, how do you acquire a client? And they don't break it down into almost like scientific form where they go, what are my lead categories? Where am I going to actually get leads from? And that's this playbook that Josh is talking about that we've actually walked through specifically for real estate agents. Hey, here are different areas that you can generate leads, but these categories apply in every business. If you're in insurance, if you're in finance, though the details specifically of a FISBO doesn't apply to a financial advisor because you're not, you know, the person's not selling a home, but people are investing their money themselves. Yeah. So even though we're going to talk specifics of maybe like FISBOs and stuff like that, it applies to your business. And really the key here is mapping out where are my leads coming from category wise and then how do i engineer or reverse engineer into tracking how i acquire a client through these lead categories yeah. i think i saw a quote on instagram last week that said the opposite of being productive isn't being lazy or being inactive the opposite of being productive is being busy mm. and not really knowing oh, why you're busy i shared um, with my production manager in our one-on-one -on -one meeting today i said you know what i've found over the years that people do they try to make things so complicated yeah. to give themselves to an excuse of why they didn't execute. Mm. It's really, really strange what we do as humans. We literally, it's like we try in a way to make things more intense and more complicated than they really are. Like we're not pragmatic about things or we don't just aren't super logical. We try to make it super complicated. So then when it comes time to be accountable for the results, we can go, well, 
you saw it was super complicated. <laughs> so we make yeah, ourselves busy. We make ourselves busy that, in the complication. Sometimes a lack of understanding. It's yes. not really truly understanding. Yeah, but it is a lack of understanding, but man, there's so much out there. You're well, going to get me going no, no, on this no, rant. There's so much freaking out there on the internet yeah, yeah. that you can literally learn from the best of the best of the best. And you've got to ask not yourself excuse, right, right now. Like, there's, yeah, there's no excuse. You've got to ask yourself right now, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you watching one? Why aren't you listening to one stay paid a day? You know, one paid stay, stay paid a day or listening to one thing from a Tony Robbins, a Grant Cardone. What's your industry? Who's your expert in your industry? Listening to one thing a day because there's no excuse for not actually going on the internet and getting this free information. We have more information at our fingertips than people have had in all time. It's unbelievable. So we're going to break it down into five different categories for your client acquisition strategy. The first one being cold prospecting. And this is where we would talk about if we're using real estate as an example, which is in our playbook, but we would call it, we would say for sale by owners or mm-hmm. FISBOs um, and expired listings. This, but this would also be your door knocking campaigns. Yep. This could be your cold calling campaigns. It could be anything in that same vein where you're looking for leverage points to be able to contact an unknown prospect or something, yep. a cold lead and present your value proposition. And in the case of like a FISBO, you're trying to you're trying to counter or or combat yeah, the, something the negative. that they're trying to do on their own. Yep, the, the impression they have on you. It's like we talk about in the playbook, how do you get somebody from an anonymous state to an advocate state in your business? And all these people that you're reaching out to in this cold prospecting, they're in an anonymous state, meaning you're anonymous to them. They, they don't know you. They have no relationship with you. So you have to approach them and deliver your value proposition to them. The thing about cold prospecting that you should understand, just a caveat thought for you, no longer, people say cold calling's dead. The idea of picking up the phone book and calling somebody now is It's not that it's dead, you can do it. It's that it's a waste of time because there's so much information out there on people that you can find about them that you don't have to waste your time with them. We started out this business calling basically the phone book, calling real estate agents off the roster. We don't have to do that anymore. We literally at this point in time can leverage when we're calling cold, it's not even cold anymore. We're calling an office where we already have a client that we can then use that as leverage to get to the other clients. Meaning the point being is that when you think about cold prospect, you really need to be thinking in terms of there's really no cold leads anymore. It really is how can you tailor your message? How can you go after a FISBO, for instance? That's not necessarily a cold lead because you know exactly what their pain point is. Their pain point is they don't trust real estate agents. They believe you just put a sign in the yard. They believe you pay or they would have to pay you too much in commission. You know these pain points. And so you can go out and actually tailor your message and actually fight and combat against that. In the playbook that we talk about specifically when it comes to like our products, I share with people all the time when it comes to cold prospecting, take FISBOs for instance, what you're up against is you're up against presenting your brand and your value proposition, what you bring to the table that no one else offers. Meaning everybody has experienced when they go up to a listing presentation, they've all experienced, all my realtors listening to this, have experienced an agent coming behind them to that same listing presentation. So you have to ask yourself, when you're leaving that listing presentation, what separates you 
from the agent that's coming behind you. And it's truly your brand and it's your value proposition of what you bring to the table versus everybody else. And so for all my uh, clients out there, this is where I tell them, hey, you should use American Lifestyle Magazine because it's a differentiator, it's unique, it's a value proposition that you can add to your arsenal of weapons to say, hey, this is something that I have that other agents don't have. But this is where you really get into, and we've done podcasts on this before, is what is your unique value proposition? What is it that you bring to the table when you're going up against these leads to really share who you are and what you believe and what you bring to the table that separates you from everybody else and why this person would choose to work with you and not the other yeah. agent? One of the great strategies that we've talked about on actually then how to prospect something like a for sale by owner would be to call on a Monday, mm. ask them what kind of traffic they got over the weekend, and see if that would be a pain point for them. And that at least opens up the conversation. Mm-hmm. It lets them see maybe some of the value of which you do provide. Another thing we were talking about earlier as you start to look at other industries is how could a general contractor take advantage of that, right? So how could a general contractor take advantage of the person that wants to do everything themselves? You know, they're the DIYers. Yes, the, the DIYers. Yeah, the homeowner specials. Uh, we just bought a house recently. We ran into a ton of homeowner specials <laughs> yeah. throughout the Some of which we were able to fix on our own, a lot of which we hired a contractor to do. But it's kind of the same strategy. If you're running, and I'm just kind of making this up on the spot, but if you're running ads on Facebook, which gets later into internet sources, and you're targeting people that like HGTV, or you're targeting people that like the Property Brothers or something like that, and they're filling out forms to download a piece of content that you provide about uh, whether it's um, plumbing or fixing drywall. You know, the O-ring and the the, O-ring sink. Remember from the other podcast, you mentioned the O-ring. call them on a Monday and say, hey, did you work on any home projects this week, and how did it go? I guarantee there's mm-hmm. a lot of projects that if I would have gotten a call from a local contractor on the mm-hmm. Monday after a weekend, I would have been like, yeah, why don't you come in and look at this after all? Because yeah. I made a mess of it Saturday through Sunday, and I know it, I'm going to have to get back to it next weekend. It gets into, when you're thinking about your cold prospecting, I always tell people, like, there's, you're really what you're trying to do is you're trying to save people time. What you're really trying to help the FISBO understand is that you can save them time. Is it going to cost them money? Yes, but their time that they're going to save and the value they're going to get from gaining back that time is worth spending that money, right? And it's the same with the contractor that you're talking about and trying to add something unique. I think when I was pulling out of my driveway this morning, there was a contractor at my house because they're doing an outdoor patio thing for us. And what that person is doing ultimately for me is I could do that work. I looked at the work they're doing. I could do that. At least I think I can. My wife would probably tell me now. But I think <laughs> I can do that work. We always think we can. But, but they're saving me time. And so when you're going out there and you're cold prospecting, right, and you're cold prospecting for the FISBOs, or you're door knocking, right, so all of my real estate agents that are door knocking out there, what value are you bringing to the table that ultimately will save them time or you can translate, we always say time is money, or save them money? Or make them money. Like that is the key and how you tailor your pitch and how you tailor your actions all should revolve around that of the value proposition that you bring to the table is that you can make them more money on a home than the other real estate agent that's selling it. You can sell it in a shorter time than the other person and you have the stats to back it up. You're saving them time. You're making them more money. That's the key for the cold prospecting. When it comes to client acquisition though, that's just one of the categories. Cold prospecting is just one of the categories categories that you should have in your business and you should be asking yourself right now, what is the cold prospecting that I'm doing right now in my business to generate leads? That's just one of the categories you should have. 
So then the next one we would uh, recommend would be your geographic farming. So mm -hmm. this would be, uh, and we would split this up into two categories. One would be your geofarm. This would be marketing to a specific area, zip code, or a radius around a particular address. The other one would then be a niche farm. This would be group of prospects that are more based on uh, common interests or demographic or psychographic attributes that might not be necessarily yes. as ge uh, geographically focused, but still within your circle of service. Correct. So an example of like a niche farm could be like luxury. Yep. Uh, luxury real estate could be a niche farm or first time home buyers could be a niche farm if you're going after first time home buyers. Um, Geofarm, a couple things to think of when you're uh, thinking about farming is that farming in an inherently built into the word you should think about it in terms of it's not instant gratification, meaning a farmer doesn't plant the seed and instantly get a crop. It takes a lot of effort from the tilling of the ground to the planting of the seed, to the watering of it, to the pruning of the plants, to the actual harvest. It takes a ton of work. And the mistake that people make when they think about client acquisition through farming is they get into farming a neighborhood and they're not committed to the time it takes to actually reap a harvest. And so when it, farming inherently, that's a perfect word for it because it takes time. When you think about real estate and you think about your geographic farm, that's the neighborhood, the zip code that you want to dominate. And so you're going to have to spend a lot of time when you're dominating that neighborhood and a lot of effort to build your name brand because it's not going to be the lottery usually where you send out a thousand postcards and you end up getting one person or two or five people that go, oh my goodness, I got this postcard I want to buy from you. The purpose of farming is building your brand recognition, that top of mind awareness. So when the time comes and they need a real estate agent or they need an insurance agent, they think of you because they've seen your face over and over again throughout that neighborhood or whatever it is. And here's the beautiful thing about farming is it exponentially grows. And this is what I don't think people understand about the beauty of farming when you put in the effort. It exponentially grows. And here's how you, you farm a neighborhood of, let's say 1200 homes. So you're farming once a month to this neighborhood and then you get a listing. Well, now you can do an open house in that neighborhood. Now you have another touch point to that same neighborhood that they're seeing. Then on that open house, you could do a just listed card to everybody in the neighborhood. So you now have another touch point. You can do a door knocking campaign in that same neighborhood. So it exponentially grows that as you start farming and you get your first listing, then you start getting more listings because statistically speaking, I think it's two homes that come on the market within like 12 months of when a home hits the market. So you're exponentially growing when you're farming that I think a lot of people miss that part of it and they're not consistent with it and I can't tell you how many even my own brother was tempted at this switching farms it's like you're three months in you don't yeah. feel like you're getting anything yeah. you switch farms couple things to think about when you're picking a farm the first thing to think about is how heavy is the competition in the farm meaning you know just like in farming if you've planted a ton of crop you, you eventually, I think, what is it? It's every seven years. Are you a farmer? Do you come from farmers? I don't come from. Am I a farmer? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Do you come from like a family of farmers? I don't know. <laughs> I grew up. You were like farms. on a horse farm, right? I saw farms you a saw lot <laughs> when I was, when I was growing up. We're going to, if you guys are farmers and you know, know this and you comment below. So we, you know, you can educate us on this, but I think it's like every seven years, don't you have to pause or something like that on the land and let the soil recoup. So you we'll, can we'll follow up. We'll fact check. Yeah. That we'll fact on. check that. But I think this is what it is. But here's the point I'm trying to make with this is that you when you're picking a farm you need to look at the competition in that farm 
Because if there's so much competition, it's not that you can't win. I'm all for a battle. If people know me, they they know I'm all for a battle. But right, the point just increasing being your is, odds. Yeah, right. the point being is you have so much more to get up against because farming is a long-term game. So if you have a top producer in that area that's been farming it for 10 years, it's so much harder to to win that battle in the farm, and it's kind of like you need the soil to take a break. Every confirmed. Seven. Was it confirmed? Seven years. Dude, fact-checked. My wife's going to be proud of that me. She fantastic. grew up on an orchard, so she'll, she'll be proud of me for that. But um, here's the thing. So first, you want to look at the competition. Second, when you're picking a farm. So if you guys are thinking, how do I pick a farm? Second, you want to look at turnover. So you can get the turnover if you're in a real estate uh, uh, you know, agent. You can get the turnover off your MLS. You can look how many homes are selling to give you some statistical standpoint of what's your potential to actually get homes out of that. So you want to look at your potential there. And then third, I would always look at, is this the clientele you want? Yes. Right? So is it the, is it the income level you want, the level of house you want? Because you don't want to put a ton of effort into a $150,000 neighborhood if that's not where you want to be. Right. And there's nothing wrong with working off a $150,000 neighborhood. It's just it comes, think about right. that. It comes back to reverse engineering your goals for the Because that's why that my brother wanted to switch. Right. Is he had not thought further enough down the road that goes, gotcha. you know, he's just action-based, which is a love it, take action. But, you know, had not thought further enough that, wait a second, I don't know if I even want to dominate this neighborhood. So you, you got to think about that. So when it comes to farming, long-term game, pick a farm where there's heavy turnover and not a ton of competition if you no, can. That's great tips. So the next set that we would say for your client acquisition, probably the most overlooked or or but the <clears> taken most for granted would be your past clients. Mm-hmm. So from your past clients, you want to look at what what is the gain there? Obviously, repeat transactions. You want to re- yep. maintain the relationship long enough so that when that need for your services comes back around or a need for someone else that you can refer them out to for a service comes around, they think of you, but then most importantly, referrals, the ability to amplify your results, the experience that you gave your past clients and the relationship that you maintain with them, being able to then turn that into a referral for your business. Dude, I was on a podcast podcast I called you dude and the podcast I was on was um, the marketing dude or the real estate marketing dude but um, the the podcast I was on uh, yesterday literally the guy said something awesome that I want to reiterate to our audience he said literally a hundred percent of your people in your database know someone who is moving right a hundred percent of the people know one person who are moving only around, he said it was only around like 13% or something like that are actually moving themselves. Mm. So when you're going after your past clients, you're not going after that 13% that are looking to move. You're going after the, the database that they know one person. 100% of your database knows one person who's moving. Now, I've always quoted the National Association of Realtors stat that says the average person knows five people who are moving. Mm. But the point being here with when it goes to your past clients, whether you're in finance, insurance, real estate, we tend to neglect our database of people, our past clients. Why? Because we're so focused on the next transaction, the next paycheck, that we, it's not that we don't love the people that we did business with in the past. We just don't spend the time to touch base with them. The point I made on this podcast yesterday that I'll make today is what does it take to actually have a friendship with somebody? Because people always wonder, how often should I keep in touch with my, my past clients? How often should I keep in touch with my database? Well, how often do you need to keep in touch with somebody to actually have a, a friendship with somebody? Even your relatives. I mean, you at least have to see your relatives once a year to have any type of relationship with them. But that's not even good enough. You literally need to be touching these people at least one time a month. 
And the key to, to reaching out to your past clients and reaching out to your database of people that people don't get is that it needs to happen from a place of authenticity. It needs to happen from a place of where you care more about them and their needs than you care about yours. And I'll make the point that if you're reaching out to your database of people and all you're reaching out for is to say, hey, do you know anybody that's buying or selling and asking for a referral? Don't try to hide it. Don't call for anything else. Don't ask them how life's going because that's not why you're reaching out. Be authentic in that and literally come right out and say, hey, the reason I was calling you, Josh, I want to check in. You were a great past client of mine. I was wondering if you knew anybody that was looking to buy or sell. I'm calling all my past clients to find out. There's more authenticity there that you'll have a real conversation with Josh than calling him and faking like you're checking in to see how him and Stacy love the house and then asking him for a referral. Meaning, the point being is when the reason why you neglect your past clients is because because you have nothing to talk to them about. So flip the script, call your past clients, send stuff to your past clients that actually has value for them, not you and your business, and all of a sudden you'll have something to talk about. And then maybe once every two months, once maybe six times a year, call them and ask them for business or ask them for referrals. Yeah, I mean, the stats say it. 84% of sellers said they would definitely or probably recommend their real estate agent, yet only 29% of people do. And again, it's not because the experience wasn't good. It's How not- much has your real estate agent contacted you after selling of the home? Zero. 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 How crazy is that, guys? How crazy is that? And I hope, does she listen to our podcast? If you do, I'd love to talk to you. But the point being is, like, how crazy is that? It's, it's zero. The, what that is is that it's a miss, it's a, there's a lack of a system there. There's a lack of a system in the business that allows her to be able to keep in touch with you without having to worry about it and think about it. She's not trying to neglect you. Right. She's not trying not to contact you. There is not a process. She has not built a system in her business that reminds her that, hey, I should reach out to Josh and Stacey and see how they're doing. I know they were remodeling their home. I should see how that's going for them. I should offer up anything that they need. Hey, do you need a contractor, electrician, or anybody like that? Because I have a Rolodex, so just want you to know that if you need them, you, you can use them. I'll, I'll get them in touch with you. Meaning so, so, so simple, but nothing. Yeah. And so are you going to refer her? Well, maybe because you know about referrals and I don't know your relationship. with. But chances are seven years from now, we should fact check this as well. I think the average person moves every seven years. I believe it's five now. Is it five now? So we should latest, fact check that. Yeah. But but I love having fact checkers she, here in the yeah, podcast seriously. studio. If she way. kept in touch with you just for five years, it would probably cost her in all maybe 500 bucks. Maybe. Here's and the how crazy, much commission? Here, how much commission is she going to make? Well, here's the crazy it, thing. Like we, probably 12 grand. She stays in probably. touch, right? We're, we're, it's kind of friend through a friend. So we do stay in touch. She comments on Facebook, that kind of stuff. Okay. So she does but keep in, in all touch reality, with you a little no, bit. No, no. To prove your point, we had someone in our neighborhood that was looking to move recently. And if, if we had... If she had hit us at that right moment, at the right time, we could have easily made that connection. Now, would it have panned out? I don't know. Don't know. But if that phone call was placed at the right time and you had a system in place to hit someone consistently on a regular basis, you're only increasing your odds. And that is all that marketing is. That is Mm -hmm. all that prospecting is. It's just improving your odds at securing a client, getting a referral, getting a meeting with somebody than if you weren't doing nothing or you're just relying on your Zillow leads or you're just relying on people to come to you and say, hey, can you help me do this thing? Yep. You have to be out there. Here's literally three touch points that you can do that are so easy. So easy. Hit them. Yeah. One is call to check in a month after they've moved in just to make sure everything's going well for them and how did the move go. So easy. How many people are not doing that? So easy. You you do 11 transactions a year on average if you're a real estate agent. Hopefully you do more than that, but the average agent I think is doing 11. Mm. So 11 calls. That's so, so easy. Second, 
call two months and go, hey, just wanted to check in, see how things were going, but then offer up your Rolodex of people. Yep. If you haven't built a Rolodex of people, meaning the, the vendors for like contractors, the partners in like, I mean, it could be plumbing, electricians, it could be something fun. It doesn't matter. Just build this Rolodex of people and offer that Rolodex to people. Offer those connections because when I built my patio stuff that I'm talking about, I have no contractors. I have no contract. I don't know. So we're vetting like anybody. If that's an easy gift that my realtor or whatever can give to me is that vetic contractor that they trust that they've done tons of jobs with. So anyways, that's the, that's the second or yes, that's the second. Okay. I'm on the second, third call and ask for referrals. That's three touch points right there. That if you did that every two months, you're literally halfway through the year, basically three calls. Very easy. One to check in. How did the move go Two offer your Rolodex three, ask them for referrals. Boom. You got three touch points right there. That's how easy it is. We have confirmed every five years. <laughs> the average person moves every five years. Every five years, the average person is moving. So what does that mean for you as a real estate agent? It means the cost is what is less. Invest in them for five years, and well, you're going to get a the average. Um, um, what's the average transaction in the United States? Look that up. I think it's around two hundred thousand dollars. I like these fact no, checking right, things. Right. I think it's around two hundred thousand yeah. dollars, but that's six thousand dollars in commissions. Are you going to spend six thousand dollars over five years on somebody? No way. No way. No way. You're going to spend 150 bucks, maybe 200 bucks. Maybe if your time is super valuable, maybe $500. You're going to make $6,000. You're going to make $5,500 in profit if you just keep in touch with that person. It's crazy. Crazy, man. Uh-oh, we're waiting for the we're waiting for the fact check to come back. Well, while we're waiting on that to come through, the fourth one. So, we're looking these are these would be events. So, yes. another source for client acquisition would be your event marketing. This would be uh, if you're in real estate, open houses, if you are maybe in the financial service, client appreciation events, these will be seminars. So the things that you put together or advertise where you can teach people your mm-hmm. expertise. So if you are an, an expert in real estate or first time home buyers, I think your brother even ran a seminar. Yeah, it was first time home buyers. A couple of times where yep. he invited people that were. Um, yeah, we got like 17 people time. at our first event. And then just doing an educational seminar yep. on that. And we, we, we got, got with, a mortgage broker, I think, to come and talk and everything. It's a great opportunity to yep. network with someone else that can then hand you referrals and yep. you can build now. This is huge for our financial advisors. I'm going to make a plug for a company here, yep. White Glove. Uh, White Glove Workshops puts on seminars for financial advisors. So they take all the risk off of you and they literally do the seminar for you. It's an incredible company that we know. And we've done a webinar with them before because we believe that obviously a seminar is such an incredible way for a financial advisor to gain clientele because who you're going after, you're trying to educate people. You're trying to educate people on social security or you're trying to educate them on taxes. So it's very, very common that people are seeking out how to learn about this stuff. And so you can host a seminar at your local library and you can literally have, I think their average attendance is 20 people per seminar. Imagine if you had 20 people show up to hear you talk on tax and then you literally can offer your services after the tax and then if you're really good give them american lifestyle magazine as the takeaway <laughs> yes <laughs> had to plug that in there but the point being is seminars are great we did a podcast with a guy that it was crazy what colton Lindsay, right yep colton Lindsay. oh just great advice oh it's unbelievable to maximize a go check event. this podcast yeah. out because he talks about an event is how he kind of does all of his client touch points almost around it's like one a big thing. outdoor kind of festival yep. or event with uh, with his local community but he a, has an entire strategy pre-festival or yep. pre-event, post-event, at the event, 
a set number of yep. touch points. It's like for a each fall festival type thing or a summer festival. It's like, think about this. How hard would it be for you to throw a little festival where you got a, a face painter, cotton candy, popcorn, maybe and a couple balloons? And then he goes things. out and finds all of the other professionals or to businesses pay for in his area <laughs> to come to the event, sponsor a small part of it. Everybody joins in in the conversation and the networking ability and the ability to, to acquire Yep. clients or to start those relationships and your cost goes way down it, it, it's not it, down to zero it takes effort it takes effort to put oh, on an event like this but it's huge yeah. in the sense of he's building his whole more i think they're the number one team in utah and he's building his whole marketing around this is he's doing this one festival in his community getting a bunch of partners like mortgage people insurance people to sponsor the event so he ends up paying barely anything right and he invites not only his database but the whole community to bring their kids to bring their people to and he literally builds his whole business off of this it's yeah. incredible yeah. it's absolutely i incredible. mean the other benefit of that is now you again like you said it's all about the mind share. The reason why you're doing these things and and these events, local events, are so important for your for these service based roles mm -hmm. because it's impossible to. <clears throat> we have it a little bit easier here at Reminder Media because we have a product. We have a product that we can hold up. And if you buy into the idea and you're trying to build relationships and get a piece of mail past the trash can landing on the coffee table in your clients' homes, then you can look at our product and compare it to other direct Correct. mail products on the market and say, yeah, that one looks the best. When you're providing a service, it is extremely hard to put your service up there on a shelf and say, this how is how does I my compare. service look? Yeah. So Especially if you're all, a new agent and you have no stats. Well, right. So if it's, you're new it's, in the business, you have no stats. It's, it's all impossible. about the experience. It's yep. obviously, you know, you've got your website, you've got your branding, everything. You look good. People trust you. They come yep. to you. They see that. But then beyond that, it's all how about the experience. How well do you build relationships? Right. How well do right. you make people fall in love with you for, right. for lack But of don't make word. the mistake of just doing an event because you like to, you're a social person and you like to have events. Implement, <laughs> this is why we're talk, bringing yeah. up the podcast, implement a strategy, an action item Pre around that event. During the event. And set goals for yourself. Calls, correct. Make sure that you have yep. goals for yourself so that you know what you're trying to get out of that uh, after the event. Yeah, like we're doing events ourselves. We're going to the uh, NAR conference. Yes. So if any of you guys are going to be at the NAR conference, please Emails. come to our booth. Yes, What's definitely. our booth number? Does somebody know? Oh, there, 1378. 1378. <laughs> so come to our booth, but we have goals. We're paying to get to this event and we're going to meet, I think there's going to be what, 20,000 people there or something yep. like that. We want to meet as many people as we can. We, we've done pre-emails to people. We're we want to meet 22,000. Yeah, we want to meet 22,000. Yeah. So we want to go out into the community and meet more people. <laughs> Going out in the city. But pre-emails, we're doing pre-phone calls. Yep. We're going to do at the event marketing. We're going to do post-marketing. We're, we're trying to practice everything that we're talking about to you guys because we know if we just show up at NAR, the conference, we're going to have no success. So we're going to have very limited success. But if we do the work and we set the strategy, now we have a chance to actually gain clients. It's the same for you when you do your events. And the last one that we have would be internet leads. So these are going to be your inner, your industry lead generation sites like Zillow if you're in real estate, Facebook ads obviously, your own website is your mm -hmm. website optimized for collecting leads for your business. Uh, SEO, are you optimizing your website to really focus on those keywords uh, for not only the service you provide but then the area of which you serve so that when people are looking for something, uh, Google optimizes I think for like the top three results, like the top three uh, services or businesses in your yes. area. Um, so if you're if you're optimizing your site and making sure that now it's also primed for lead generation, that would be your fifth, you know, kind of more obvious source of client acquisition. Huge opportunity right now with Facebook ads. 
So we've seen it. We're experiencing it. If you're not using Facebook ads, use Facebook ads for your business. I can't encourage you enough to do it. We did a webinar on our YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash reminder media, you'll see our free webinar. I literally walk you through how to build two Those different two types ads. of yeah. ads. Go on there, rip yep. them off. Try and for yourself. Yeah, seriously, rip work. them off. Let us know how they work. But I mean, my brother, I think we spent like 13 bucks and generated like 30 plus leads from this ad. But there's huge opportunity in Facebook ads. But the point I really want to make on internet leads is where I think people fall down. They don't recognize how much follow-up you have to do to get these people. I mean, even so, I mean, like Zillow, for instance, you can pay a lot of money on Zillow and get leads. So many people don't convert on your Zillow leads. And I guarantee you, if I looked at your business and was consulting you, if I looked at the amount of times you were following up. What are you doing yep, every co- single correct. day for those You're leads. not following up enough. If, right. I, if, if you're paying for Zillow right now and you're not getting conversion, First, look at how many times you're following up, then look at when you're following up, and then look at what you're actually doing when you're actually following up, like the voicemails and all that stuff. But I guarantee you the number one problem you're doing is you're not following up enough. Because if you think nine times is too much, you're way out of the ballpark. You have to follow up basically until these people give you an answer. I mean, that's where it's come to, and you need to use multiple methods. I think it's what, the blitz type idea? Text them, email them, phone call. Because you don't want to, you're not trying to be annoying, but you got to think about it this way they saw enough value to request information and so you're honoring the value that they saw by staying on them when you just call one or two times you have no value you don't believe in your value i believe in my value enough that i'm gonna follow (laughs) up with you until you tell me hey I don't, I don't want this anymore. Because the point being is that's what you have to be in sales. You have to be persistent and consistent. I can't say it enough. That's the number one mistake you're making when, with your internet leads. Guarantee it. You're yeah. not following up enough. And don't forget about the organic efforts also. If you're, if you're on Instagram and you're active and you're having those conversations and you're using your stories like a daily vlog and bringing people into your personality, but also sharing with them the value that you can bring, um, you know, Encourage conversations on mm-hmm. that. You know, make sure that when you're posting a story, put on there, swipe up to talk to me, or, yep. or there's a there's a, a, a one feature where you can have people ask you a question. You know, put out there mm-hmm. about uh, uh, whatever within your industry might make sense. But if you're selling homes or something like that, you know, winter's coming, right? Winter's when was the last coming. time you you winter's coming? It's like Game of Thrones. Winter's coming. I'm reading Game of Thrones right now. <laughs> but winter's coming. When was the last time that you had your windows checked, or when was the yep. last time you had your 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 uh, you know, hot water heater yep. looked at or something like that. Or or what are some of the tips that you can provide? Ask me anything kind of things. Just encourage that yep. conversation because, yes, you have the lead generation that you can pay for, but then you also have these opportunities through polls. You know, having a poll on your Instagram stories then replying to everyone who actually responds to your poll. And the key to that, and really this is the key to marketing in general. I've been saying this a lot lately. There's three things. Consistency. So you got to do that type of stuff consistently. You got to create impact, which means it's got to be relevant and valuable to the person, and so it's gotta get engagement, it's gotta be valuable to them, and then it's gotta be branded with you. And so when you do even simple things like the questions, it's key. If you do it one time, you're not gonna have a ton of success with it, but if you consistently are doing stuff like that, if you're consistently posting, if you're consistently asking questions, if you're doing in, in kind of creating value and impact from what you're doing, and then you make sure obviously it's already branded with you because it's your social, that's what's gonna generate results. So often in business, 
What we do is we try to create impact one time. It doesn't generate results. We try to do things consistently that don't create impact. Oh, that doesn't work. generate results. Try something else. Or worse, and usually people don't make this mistake, but I've seen people make the mistake. They, it's not branded to you. It has no People have no idea that you're in the business you are in. <laughs> I mean, how many people in your neighborhood have gone with another real estate agent and you think to yourself, I live here. <laughs> I live here and they don't even use me. How many people at your church have used another real estate agent and you go to that church? How many of your family members have used another real estate agent, another financial advisor, another insurance agent? They haven't used you. Why is that? Well, normally it's because you missed number three. You didn't tell them, hey, this is who I am. This is what I bring to the table. Who are you and what do you believe and why are you in this business and sharing that with people? But hit those three things and all your marketing and all these categories that we've talked about, you'll knock it out of the park. Good stuff. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Stay Paid. Yes. If you liked what you heard today on Stay Paid, please go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and make sure to leave a comment. You can also find our podcast in video on youtube.com slash remindermedia or staypaidpodcast.com. Make sure to tell someone else about the podcast today. And if you'd like to get hold of me or Luke, please email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. Another reminder, if you are going to NAR in Boston this year, please shoot us an email. Let, let us know that you'll be there. We'd love to meet you. You could also find us on Instagram or LinkedIn. And of course, you can check out Reminder Media on every social media where Reminder Media, at Reminder Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest. For this episode of Stay Paid, I am Joshua Stike. And I'm Luke Acree. And the action item from this podcast is map out, list what your categories of lead generation are. It would be interesting to hear from you guys if you made comments on Facebook, you know, find us there or even on our staypaypodcast.com. I'd be interested to hear what's the average number of categories that you have to do lead generation. So we've laid out, you know, eight different categories in our playbook, but I would be interested to hear, hey, how many do you have? And if you don't even know how many you have right now, that's a sign of a problem. You need to know exactly how you're generating leads, what the categories are, because that's then going to lead you down the road of what does it take to actually generate a lead in that category and then you can reverse engineer the cost and you can understand your client acquisition cost, let alone where you're getting clients from. So the action item is very simple. List out and make sure you understand how you're getting leads and what categories are the most valuable for you. Post that on our Facebook or on our staypaypodcast.com so we can see what the average is. Guys, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer is top producers take action, so take action on that today. 